Our scripture passage comes from the 11th chapter of Hosea today. These are God's words spoken to the people of Israel through the prophet Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst and I will not come in wrath. You have heard the ancient story. I don't know about you, but the scripture passage we just read doesn't sound to me anything like what I would expect from any prophet of God who is worth his salt. Aren't the prophets supposed to be accusing the Israelites of idolatry and warning them against God's impending judgment? Instead, Hosea has God saying, how can I hand you over, Israel? My, my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not come in wrath. Well, just so you know that he's got it in him, Hosea, a bit earlier in the book, accuses Israel of having no faithfulness, no love, and no acknowledgement of God. God says there is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery in your land. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law, I will ignore your children. The Lord pronounces judgment on Israel through the voice of the prophet, saying, I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off, and no one will rescue them. That's more like it. Go Hosea. It's not a pretty picture. It's the God of the Old Testament spewing anger and casting judgment, just as we would expect. Am I right? Well, we'll get back to that. As Missy said in her introduction, it is impossible to talk about Hosea 
without mentioning God's command for him to marry an adulterous woman. His marriage to Gomer serves as an object lesson for Israel. God is the faithful husband, and like Gomer chasing after other men, Israel chases after other gods and is not faithful. Gomer has three children, and the Lord picks out their names for them. Jezreel is the name of the first son, because the Lord says, God will destroy Israel at Jezreel. The second child, a daughter, is named Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. And the third child is Lo-Ami, not my people. Can't you just imagine Hosea introducing his children to his Israelite neighbors? Hello, this is my son Jezreel. You know, the place where God will destroy Israel. And my other two children are not loved and not my people. Not a very subtle message. No doubt, Hosea's frustration with his faithless wife lent power to his message to the faithless Israelites. I think we have a tendency with our perfect hindsight to look back and think, how could the Israelites worship idols, commit idolatry, when they knew the one true God, excuse me, the one true God who had led them out of bondage in Egypt? Well, Baal was a formidable adversary for Yahweh. The Baals are immediate gods, represented by fertile fields, jars of olive oil, and succulent smells of bread and roasting meat. In the spring, the cry Baal Shai, Baal is alive, rang through the mountains and hills of the villages of Israel, and many a Yahweh worshiper joined in, attempting thereby to ensure a bounteous crop and a satisfied family. Though Yahweh was worshiped, though Yahweh worship was demanded in the sacred places of Israel, more than a few Israelites hedged their bets and serenaded Baal with fervency and frequency. After all, where was Yahweh anyway? on some mountain somewhere, perhaps? But what has Yahweh done for us recently? The Exodus was long ago, and Baal is current, relevant, offering his riches regularly. Yes, Yahweh has a difficult pro protagonist in, anti antagonist in Baal, and the Israelites are often led astray. In our reading for today, at the beginning of chapter 11, God uses the metaphor of caring for God's people like a parent caring for a child. God loved Israel, taught them to walk, took them in God's arms, healed them, 
bent down to them, fed them, and loved them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. It's a tender picture of a compassionate and loving God. And yet, the more God called them, the more they moved away and sacrificed to idols. If you, as a parent, have ever felt the anguish of a thoughtless, straying, wayward child, be assured, God knows. The Israelites have clearly broken the covenant with Yahweh. They have been unfaithful and worshiped Baal. What they justly deserve is punishment and God's wrath. Yet despite God's pain at being rejected, God expresses internal turmoil at the thought of disowning God's children. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? God asks. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. This is no aloof, detached deity. Rather, even for God, love involves risk. The risk of rejection and pain. These verses depict a tension between divine anger and divine compassion, which the English poet John Milton in Paradise Lost would much later describe as the strife of mercy and justice in God's face discerned. This tension between anger and compassion is a consistent characteristic of the God of the Bible. An often repeated theological statement in the Hebrew Bible describes God as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet by no means ignoring the guilty. These dueling tendencies are central to the very nature of God. That is, they are fundamental to God's identity. Hosea acknowledges this tension between mercy and compassion, but refuses to leave it unresolved. For Hosea, God's compassion wins out. It is the triumph of mercy over justice that is fundamental to God's identity, not the tension between these two attributes. The New Testament book of James puts it this way, mercy triumphs over, just, uh, over judgment. God can choose not to exercise his fierce anger precisely because God is God and no mortal the Holy One in your midst. Although the threat of judgment returns in subsequent chapters in Hosea, God's compassion has the final word in the book. Too often we accept the false and unhelpful dichotomy 
between the Old Testament God of wrath and the New Testament God of love. Hosea 11 offers a more compelling portrait of a divine tension that gradually but decisively resolves itself on the side of mercy. The God who supposedly gives us what we deserve is revealed rather as the God whose overwhelming love and tenderness makes giving us what we deserve unimaginable. The Israelites were guilty of idolatry, of being unfaithful to God's covenant, and according to Hosea, guilty too of lying, stealing, murder, and adultery. Yet in the end, God has compassion on them. Is this cheap grace? Is it easily one indulgent love? Should we sin that mercy may abound? No. If Hosea reveals anything, it reveals a God who agonizes tremendously over Israel's betrayal. So yes, if Israel can be forgiven, so can we. We can be forgiven for our secret sins, our broken relationships, our various idolatries. But know that there is a cost, and that cost is in the heart of God, whose steadfast love will outlast all betrayals. May it be so.